Thank you. That was great. You can go to Children's Worship if you would like to. Not everybody, just uh, <laughs> age four through third grade. Ken, you have to stay here. You do. Would you turn with me uh, back to the, the second chapter of John's Gospel? Um, if you have a Bible there or something on your phone, first 11 verses of John, chapter 2, what Alex read for us. What do you do when you run out of wine? That's the question that's presented in, in this passage. What do you do when you run out of wine? Maybe you've noticed, as I have, that wine has gained a lot of popularity in our country, especially over the past couple decades. In 2014, the United States uh, overtook a ranking, becoming the number one wine consumer in the world. Um, And you see evidence of that in uh, just any amount of, of wine pop art that's out there. Uh, you know what I mean? It's all over the place. Little, little sayings, little accessories, pictures. It's in all the little gift stores and shops and shoppies. Those are the gift shops where shop is spelled S-H-O-P-P-E. Uh, all kinds of little shoppies with wine stuff all through them. It's everywhere. Way more than it used to be. Um, way more than it used to be. Even within the church, Protestant church anyway, uh, wine and all alcohol, except rubbing alcohol, uh, used to be way more taboo than it is anymore. Uh, now, there's some groups, and, and we are a part of that, who still advocate for abstinence uh, from alcohol and other addictive things. And, and we do that just based on the tremendous damage and hurt that it causes day by day in our culture. So uh, advocating for abstinence used to be the position of far more and probably most of the Protestant church. Uh, and it is, and I'll say it unashamedly, part of both the heritage and the present conviction of the Free Methodist Church. So for us, ecclesiastically, uh, organizationally speaking, you know, what do you do when you run out of wine? You celebrate. You know, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, but more and more in our culture, you know, don't share that conviction. And so they'd answer that question differently. What do you do when you run out of wine? In the ancient Eastern cultures, hospitality was just about a sacred practice. And wine was a huge part of hospitality because wine was what you drank. Uh, There's no pop machines, you know, Starbucks had not yet reached that area. And uh, you could only keep milk without refrigeration for so long. Uh, So it's either water or wine. Now, drinking in excess and certainly drunkenness was never celebrated in the Jewish Ethos. There's plenty of warnings, prohibitions in Scripture against the dangers and the lack of wisdom and responsibility of, 
of drunkenness. And scripture does prohibit drinking for certain people, for people who hold leadership positions, people who are responsible for the welfare of other people, which is another reason the Protestant church had advocated for abstinence. She sees herself as a leader responsible for the souls of other people in the world. Um, But it is also true that several times in Scripture, wine is regarded as the good gift from God. So, So to run out in a situation where house guests were concerned was, was a terribly embarrassing thing in, in Jesus' day. But, but it would have been worse at a wedding party. You know, because in, in Jewish culture, like most cultures, the wedding is one of the, the most joyful and uh, happiest occasions. In Jesus' day, to run out of wine at a wedding celebration would be like, say, running out of food or running out of wedding cake today. You invite all these people to your home, and then you run out of the centerpiece, you know, of what you wanted to offer them. So, what do you do when you run out of wine? Well, one thing that you don't do is announce it to everybody there, right? If you don't want to be mortally embarrassed and humiliated in front of the whole community in front of all of your friends and your family. I mean, you'd be announcing your own unpreparedness and poor planning. You would also be, in effect, announcing the end of the party. Uh, Now, personally, just let me say, as I've gotten older, I've become far more of an early-to-bed kind of person. And so as I've gotten older, to be quite honest, I've also begun to care less about what other people think of me in certain ways. So for me, the party's over, right? And, and I don't care that we started at 5 o'clock and it's only 7.30. The party's over. Everybody out. <laughs> um, some of you will get the opportunity to practice that tonight at Super Bowl parties. You can kick everybody out of your house. Uh, but you couldn't get away with that in Jesus' culture. And actually, Annette wouldn't let me get away with that today. In Jesus' culture, it was a major problem involving responsibility and shame and disgrace. So, what do you do when you run out of wine? Well, you need help. So you take the problem to somebody you trust. Someone who will help, but but who will practice discretion and not blab it all over the place. And Mary, Jesus' mother, was that person in this situation. Uh, We don't know why for sure she was. There have been a lot of theories. You know, maybe she was a trusted friend to the family, maybe a relative of the the groom's family, which was responsible for this party, the reception. We don't know why it was Mary, but the problem was shared with Mary. Somebody came to her and said, what shall we do? We've run out of. And through the ages, Mary has been called the model disciple in part because of what we see in her right here. Uh, First of all, you can tell the sort of person Mary is simply by knowing that the shortage problem was shared with her. Uh, She was known 
somehow by this host family to be loyal, to be trustworthy, to be wise. And that should not really surprise us since God himself saw those very same characteristics in her 30 years or so before this moment. Mary's sterling character is why God chose her to be the mother of Jesus. And there weren't too many people like Mary around, I would venture to guess. So the groom's family was wise in taking the problem to her. And of course, Mary, in her wisdom, took the problem to Jesus. What shall we do? They've run out of wine. Why did Mary take the problem to Jesus? What did Mary expect Jesus to do? It's hard to know. Uh, I mean, we're told that this is the first of Jesus' miracles. There's, there's no evidence that he did anything miraculously amazing as, as he was growing up. Actually, we're told that those from his hometown rejected his claims because they said, well, he's just a carpenter. He's just, just the son of Joseph. He's just a carpenter. So it's hard to believe that Mary would have expected him to do anything like he wound up doing there with the water jars. Scripture's last mention of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was, was when Jesus was about 12, when he, he stayed behind in Jerusalem and the whole family was looking for him. So, so since Joseph isn't mentioned after that and since when Jesus was on the cross, uh, he gave Mary into the care of John, you know, uh, the strong presumption is that Joseph died when Jesus was relatively young. So, so being the oldest son and being remarkably intelligent and wise and resourceful, as oldest sons so often are, even apart from Jesus' divine characteristics. No, I'm just kidding. No, really, I'm not. But I, you, you get it. Oldest son, Mary went to him. He, she came to depend on him through the years. So even though he, she had really no idea what he would do or what he could do, several things combined here to cause Mary to take the problem to him. Number one, Mary knew the problem at hand was serious. Mary knew there was no simple solution. Mary was a person of sensibility and faith. Mary had observed Jesus' resourcefulness and wisdom through the years. Mary knew that Jesus was trustworthy. And (laughs) Mary believed that if anyone could do anything about this, Jesus So with no preconceived notion of what he could or would do, but trusting in his character, trusting in his ability, Mary takes the problem to Jesus and she says to him, what do you do when you run out of wine? Hmm. Now, some people through the ages have been tripped up by Jesus' response to his mother here. To, uh, To our modern ears, it may seem rude and even uncaring, to start his response by calling his mother woman. <laughs> In fact, that's the, the, the sound we, we typically, woman, you know. Uh, but this, this is not that. Uh, this is not as it might seem to us. Uh, it's not a term of disrespect. It's not a term of derision. Jesus uses the same word from the cross when he lovingly makes arrangements with John 
for his mother's care. He says the same thing. Uh, fact is, there's no really good English translation of this sentiment. It combines love with, with some degree of, of separation. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, he, he deeply loves his mother. And, and yet in his response to his mother, he is declaring that he is not just Mary's oldest son. Uh, he's more than Mary's son. And that his agenda and his choices depend not on his earthly mother's wishes, but on his heavenly father's wishes. Jesus is saying to Mary here the same thing he said to his family back when he was 12. You know, much as I love you and much as I appreciate you, in the end, I have to be about my father's business. So no matter what seems good and right and appropriate to you in this time and in this moment, you know, in the end, I have to do what God says for me to do. Actually, Jesus communicates that sentiment several times in several ways, not just about himself, but about those who would truly follow him. This is what he means back in Mark chapter 3, when his mother and his brothers, you know, come looking for him. And he says, my mother and my brothers are, are right here around me. These are my, those who do God's will. Those are my mother and my brothers. He's saying that even as strong as family love is, to do God's will is more important. Uh, or when he told the fella who wanted to follow him, you remember? But, but he wanted to do it after his father died. He wanted to get his father buried. Uh, that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? He, he wanted to close the relationship with his father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You know, you come and you, f you follow me. Jesus' words sound heartless. But you see, the, those, those places, they're not about diminishing uh, earthly love among family and, and friends. They're about keeping the love of God expressed in obedience to him above everything else. It has to be above everything else. So much as he loved his mother, Jesus had to do what God said, not what Mary said. So what is Jesus' answer to the question, what do you do when you run out of wine? Uh, well, you present the problem to God. And you do what God says to do. And considering what Jesus wound up doing, God the Father obviously gave him the okay. Which was a big deal. It was a big deal to Jesus because Jesus knew that doing this miraculous thing, was going to do more than just create wine, right? What do you do when you run out of wine? What do you do when you encounter a problem, a big problem, a seemingly unsolvable problem? What do you do? You look up, <laughs> you present the problem to God, and you do what he says to do. Just like it unfolded here. The family presents the problem to Mary, a person of faith, 
a person that they could trust. Mary presents the problem to Jesus, a person of faith, a person she could trust. Jesus presents the problem to God, his father, whom he implicitly trusts. Everybody involved is looking up. And then the answer begins to flow back down. God the Father tells Jesus what to do. Jesus tells Mary that he'll do as the Father says. And Mary tells the servants of the family there, do whatever he tells you to do. And everybody does. Everybody does what God says to do. That's the way to solve problems, you see. Even big problems. Even impossible problems. Just look at the results here. You know, verse 6 tells us that there was water in six stone jars that were 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus miraculously turns that into wine. That's between 150 and 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. And it's good. Wine. It's, it's wine that's better than any of these people had been drinking so far. So problem solved. Problem solved in a way that far exceeded anyone's expectations. Why? Because there was someone there who knew to look up and to hear from God and then to do whatever God said to do. People like that. People like Mary, they're a blessing to all those around them. Uh, They may not know precisely themselves how to solve the problem. They may not know exactly how to, in this case, save the day. But they absolutely know who can. Uh, They're people of of calm in times of chaos. They're people of, of confidence in the midst of anxiety. They're people of faith in a world of doubt. They're people with answers in a culture of questions. This is what the follower of Jesus is supposed to be. This is what we're made to be. And it's what every follower of Jesus can be. The presence of Christ. A calm, confident, faith-filled presence with real answers to the problems of our world. God sent his Holy Spirit to transform and to empower his people to be this, even today. And God is looking for those who will take him up on this offer and decide that they are going to listen to him, we're going to take our problems to him, we're going to take our concerns to him, we're going to look up and we're going to trust that God will give the perfect answer at the perfect time and no matter what he says, We're going to do what he tells us to do. We're going to do what he tells us to do. That's what Mary did here. And look at the blessing she was to this family, to her world, to the whole community. Wow, does our world today need more Marys. People who know where to take life's problems. And people who are content to leave them with Jesus. Those are the people who will save the day. And God invites us all 
this morning to be a Mary. To, to live life looking up to God, to trust his son, Jesus, implicitly with your soul and with all the concerns in your life. Uh, and then to be able to help save the day for somebody near you. Uh, you know, you, you've trusted Jesus with your soul. Probably just about everybody in here has trusted Jesus with your soul. Is there some situation in your life, or maybe in the life of a family member, of a friend, that you need to turn over to Jesus? That you need to, when they say, what do we do with this? Say, we're going to give this to Jesus. And leave it with him. Will you be a Mary in someone's world that God may well use to save their day? Father, you know that there are people all around us in crisis. There's people worried. There's people fearful. And there's people that come to us and ask, what do you do when this happens or that happens or this or that threatens? Or What do you do when you run out of money? What do you do when you run out of time? What do you do when you run out of patience or, or whatever it is? When they ask us, Father, help our answers to be the wise and the faithful answer of Mary. To take the issue to Jesus and to simply say, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. If there's one here this morning that needs to do that, to simply do what Jesus is telling him to do. Lord, I pray that you would drive not just the truth of this deep into their hearts, but give them the boldness and the courage and the faith to carry it out. <laughs> to take the cup of wine to the master of the banquet. So that everybody can find out that it's your way that is truly good. Thank you for including this in your word. For doing this so that we can see it and learn from it. And so our lives might be changed through what you did at that wedding. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.